Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Nightlight, everybody. So glad you could join us. We have a, an interesting show tonight, but first I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for that amazing intro. Please seek him out on the internet. Just Google Native Storytellers and you will find him most probably at the top of the list. He is an amazing man. His journey is phenomenal. And the stories that he tells not only entertain but enlighten and give you another look at a different way of preserving cosmology and history. That said, I have a special guest tonight, and this is a subject and a topic that's near and dear to me because I can sort of relate, but not not totally, but sort of relate to him. Uh, Stephen LaPlume is my guest, and he's written a book entitled Rendlesham to Redemption, A Story of Transformation. It's a It's a book about uh, one man's journey of not only the sighting of an unmanned aerial craft, but also the life-changing trauma that followed. It's not just a UFO story. It's a story of overcoming life's tragedies and traumas and never giving up hope for a better tomorrow. Steve LaPlume was an airman first class during the famous Rendlesham Forest incident in Suffolk, England. After this life-changing event, he went on to become a professional soldier for hire, a bodyguard, and eventually changed his life and became a husband and father. He worked in the petrochemical industry and construction management. In 2003, he moved to China, where he manufactured motorcycle equipment, as well as raced superbike motorcycles and continued working as a bodyguard. He's back in the U.S. now. And I'm I'm so glad he's with us tonight because it's it's always a joy to talk to somebody else who has been through the same type of experience that I went through a long time ago as well. He went through his experience 40 years ago. Mine was 55, and um, sighting a UFO uh, changes changes somebody. It isn't just the shock of seeing something that you can't explain. It's what it does to your consciousness, and it's how it 
it shifts the way you look at life and the way you apply yourself to life. And his book is an amazing chronicle of his journey. It, it's, it sends everyone who sees a UFO, it sends them on a journey of seeking. And everybody seeks differently. So I, I, I am so glad that he is able to be with us tonight because um, it's nice to know that, that somebody else went through the same thing that I did so very long ago, and it still is affecting the consciousness and the life. So welcome to the show, Steve. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the invite. Well, I, you know, you know, my sighting wasn't as famous as yours, but, but you know, let's, let's get over the fact that you were, you were at um, the Air Force Base in England at, at, uh, in, in December of uh, 1980. Yeah, that's correct. That's when, yeah. And um, you know, no, that's okay. Everybody has sort of heard the story of Rendlesham Forest incident. Um, You were actually there, so um, just if you can tell us what you saw first off, and then what your reaction to was after you saw it. Okay, but first I need to clear up that I was not at the sighting in December of 1980. Um, okay. I was on base at that time, and I was aware of what was going on. And my actual uh-huh. sighting was January, right around the 28th of um, 1981. So it was about a month after okay. the big RFI incident. Okay. So, all right. So, um, and when, when that incident happened, it got swept under the rug so quick it was just all we heard was a couple guys got chased by a ufo and we really didn't hear much more than that you know like i said it was just hushed up real quick and that was that so so months later i didn't really have a clue as to what we now know what happened during those couple of nights um Uh again all i all i heard was these three guys got chased out in the forest by a ufo yeah okay whatever (laughs) you know yeah you know (laughs) so so, um, but a month later, I was out there at the East Gate, and uh, I was there with my partner, and um, he was actually my supervisor, and we witnessed uh, a craft in the sky. We were just checking the back gate to make sure it was secure, and uh, we saw, you know, it just looked like a satellite in the sky. You know, if you've ever seen a satellite moving along, um, it was just uh-huh. a bright light. But then it started doing some really weird gyrations up and down, kind of like a heartbeat monitor is uh-huh. the only way I can describe it. And uh, it was way up in the sky. I mean, it was like I said, it was satellite distance. It was nothing you could discern what it was other than a ball of light. And uh, but what it was doing was crazy. I mean, it, there's no craft I've ever seen that could do something like that. So um, we called it in eventually, and boy, all hell broke loose. We had officers everywhere coming out and questioning us what was going on. They went out into the forest, which really confused me because I didn't understand why they were going out into the forest. Because our uh-huh. last sighting was, it was over the forest, but I mean, it was at, you know, 30, 40,000 feet. I don't know, it was way up in the sky. So, again, not knowing what happened those other nights, it was confusing as to why they would have just gotten a, a, a car and gone out to the forest. But, um, uh-huh. but they came back about 30, 40 minutes later, said they didn't see anything, and they posted me on that gate the rest of the night. And that is, officially, that was the end of my sighting. However, when my supervisor came back about an hour later, 
we sat around talking about, wow, that was kind of weird, huh? <laughs> what was that all about? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and while we were talking, um, we saw a plane, what we figured might have been a plane, a light coming in from the North Sea area, and it, that's typically the uh, approach that a craft would make to land at the, you know, at the base there at Woodbridge. And um, But it was a little to the right of where it should have been as far as the approach path for the runway. And uh-huh. all of us... All of a sudden, I realized, wow, this is not a plane coming in for a landing. It was like a light that was coming over the treetop level of the forest, and it came right up the uh, access road. There was like a main road and then this little access road to get up to the to the gate, and it came up that road and uh, eventually was over our heads, and I was standing there with my head bent backwards, craning my neck, looking up at the bottom of this ship. <laughs> that made no sound, and I, and I had no senses either. I had no, no hearing whatsoever. I, I mean, I, I don't remember hearing it. If Palmer had been talking, you know, if my partner had been talking, I hadn't, uh, hadn't heard a word he said, anything. I was just sitting there looking at it, and honestly, I remember looking up initially and just going, "Wow, suck it up, Steve. This is gonna be the greatest thing you ever saw. You're looking at a UFO. Oh my God, yeah. you know." And and you know, it was a structured craft, you know, and. Uh, and eventually, after I don't know about I don't know about fifteen twenty seconds or so, uh, maybe a little more than that, it eventually took off and slowly made its way. I mean, I use the word meandering, meandering, yeah, meandering. Uh-huh. It kind of meandered the sky real slow, and then eventually became a, a star. You know, it was the same size and shape and tw- excuse me, and twinkle of a star. And um, I couldn't tell the craft from a star, and it was gone, and that was that. So uh, my partner said, well, do you want to call that in? And I just looked at him and said, help. (laughs) And and we never talked about it again. Oddly enough, we didn't talk about it that night. The next day, never, ever did we ever talk about it again. We never compared notes. What did you see? What do you think? Nothing. And he just went, okay. He said, well, you know, keep an eye on things. And he went about his business and I went about mine and stayed at that gate the rest of the night. But uh, we never called that in, so it was never officially recorded. And um, that individual went on to work with uh, um, the Air Force OSI, so I'm sure he wants nothing to do with this case. And, uh, <laughs> How old were you then? Um, I had just turned 18. Oh, yeah, I actually went in the I was 17 when I went in the service. I had to get my parents to sign for me. So, yeah, I had just turned 18 in July, so I was 18 and a half years old, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that so time, it, it, from what from what you said in your book, at that time, you were you fit in. You were very comfortable with oh, yeah. with your place in the service. You were this is it. This 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 the the structure, the whole thing fits me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed the service. Um, you know, it was nice and regimented. I knew what I was doing every day, what my shift was, what my job was, and. That's fine. And I was kind of in between. I, I didn't have my security clearance yet, so I couldn't work with uh-huh. the security personnel, which what I was trained to do. So that's why I was at um, Woodbridge on uh, law enforcement. I was temporarily assigned to them because they were shorthanded and I had no security clearance. What were they going to do with me? So they just pawned me off on the law enforcement, which was fine. Um, uh-huh. And I realized, I realized real quick I was kind of a redheaded stepchild. I, I didn't fit in anywhere. I, I wasn't. Well, I wasn't qualified with a pistol. I wasn't qualified to be a police officer. So uh, all I was really relegated to do was giving people bathroom breaks and 
uh, chow hall breaks and, you know, working the worst gates and, yeah. But I didn't mind it because I figured oh, sooner or later I'll get my clearance and I'll go back to working with security and everything will be fine, you know. And, uh-huh. yeah, I, I, you know, very comfortable. The Air Force had taken care of me, given me the country I wanted that I requested. Uh, I, I was a pretty happy camper before that day. So, no, I was homesick, I will say. And, and so then, but after this incident, you, there was a change in you. And yeah. that's something that happens to most people. And, and you know, it was like, what happened? What happened inside of you that, that suddenly turned your life upside down? Well, I guess it just busted my belief system, you know, right off the bat. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I mean, I, I grew up a strict Catholic boy, went to church the whole bit. And um, right up until the time I went to the service, you know, I was going to church and, uh, then I was kind of like, wow, well, church never mentioned anything about this. My parents never did. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, the Air Force says they don't exist. I, what's going on here, you know? So um, so I felt a little betrayed in that in that respect, you know? It was like, wow, has everybody been lying to me my whole life? What's going on, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but, but then it, it seemed like slowly it kind of crept into my consciousness. Uh, wow, nothing really matters anymore. This is, everything's fake. It's, this I've been lied to. I mean, what's going on here? You know, I know what I saw. And what I saw wasn't any craft that I could see any government or any entity owning, you know, um, not with what uh-huh. it was doing in the sky. So I uh, just kind of slowly gave it a screw the world attitude. And, um, yeah, I just kind of went down a real dark path at that point in my life. Um, I came back to the U.S., um, couldn't really get a good job. You know, I was working gas stations and this and that. And just, yeah, my life was kind of a mess. I was partying a lot. And uh, um, finally, I was reading some magazines and decided, you know what, I like being a soldier, but obviously I can't do that again. So I'm just going to go do it on my own and just found a found a path to do that and ended up becoming Uh a professional soldier for hire. A couple years later, found myself uh, in a war zone. So and uh, did that for about five years. It must have been though you were looking for something. You had to be. I mean, you left the Army where you, you thought you were secure, and then to come back to the States and to just bounce around, there had to be something inside of you that was seeking something. Do you have any idea what it was you were looking for? No, and just to make a correction, it was the Air Force, not the Army. But, Air Force, um, oh, sorry, uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. I just want to make sure that... Yeah, we get down to proper content. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was searching for. I, and you know, it's kind of funny you mention that. When I finally got my act together, when I moved out to California, um, one of my good friends that I that I known out there for about a year or so, um, he was talking with a friend of mine. He was in the other room, and I overheard him. And I just remember him very distinctly saying, "Boy, Steve, man, he's got no direction in life." <laughs> and I didn't. I was just. <laughs> I was just literally floundering, like you said, just looking for some direction, looking for something. I mean, I didn't believe in anything anymore. I didn't believe in the law. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in anything. I was just done. You know, I was just done with all the rules, all the parameters that were set up in my whole life were just blown out of the water. So I guess I was looking for direction. I was looking for some meaning in life, something that was not a big fat lie. I don't, that's all I can really say in that respect. And then I, I just, like I said, I didn't care anymore. I didn't think the law applied to me. I thought it was all a bunch of BS and 
whether it was religious laws or anything, I just said, okay. I mean, it was actually kind of a freeing incident, you know, in that respect. But uh-huh. you know, with freedom comes responsibility, and I wasn't real responsible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I just Who is at that age? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too, you know. And doing that kind of work, I mean, uh, uh, when I wrote this book, I, I really had to sit down and figure out if I really wanted to bear my soul as much as I felt I needed to. I, I think I... I really opened up as much as a human could as far as, you know, getting it on paper and explaining my situation and where my head was at, you know, and, um, Oh, you did. uh, And, and I, I think what's, what's so phenomenal about it is that, um, you know, looking at it in retrospect, it's really clear that, that you let go of everything as a result of this experience and then we're looking for something to hold on to, and everything you tried seemed to fall short. Oh yeah. And yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, you know, you you were trained for for a certain type of work, and and you know that's what you tried to follow. And and I mean, you went you know pillar to post here. You went all over the place. And um, I don't I don't know it, it's it's really a shame there couldn't have been some sort of counseling for you because I, but I don't think there is any you know any place people can go who have seen a UFO and and you know help me figure out what what this has done to my life because suddenly everything is different and and I I need to find something to hold on to or something to go towards because yeah. everything else seems so superficial yeah, and and it was pretty much the effect of, okay, does everybody think I'm lying or crazy? Because everybody's still saying that this isn't true or real and existing, and but I know I saw something, and you know everything that was going the base at the time, and people were getting kicked out and reassigned, and I mean a- after my incident, I started noticing more and more what was going on, and I talked to a few of the other people that were involved in uh in the incident, and uh. I was, you know, especially when I talked with Larry Warren, I think that's chapter six of my book, um, just mm-hmm. listening to his story. And I was like, what, what do you mean we're getting abducted and getting hit with sodium pentothal and all this? What are you talking about, man? So mm-hmm. um, so I devised a plan to get out of the service, which I had to get out of my contract, which I couldn't. So um, I literally uh, staged a fake suicide attempt, cut my stomach open and uh, got out that way on a psych charge. So, which trashed my military career. So I knew I could never go back in the service after that. But at the time, I honestly feared for my well-being because I was getting tailed by some some people, and I confronted them. And um, at that point, I was just like, okay, I don't know what I get into here, but this is not good. I need to get out. Of here. <laughs> I need I need to I need to bail now. <laughs> so, um, so I did. And uh, well, uh, considering your age, I you know. I think anybody else would have done the same thing, considering your age at the time, um, and you weren't even on U.S. soil, so that yeah. so that it, yeah. it it definitely you know kind of want to go home. <laughs> well, I'll um, tell you, if I, if, I was, if I was on U.S. soil, I'd have gone AWOL. I'd have left. I'd have gone underground, and they'd have never seen me again. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I just couldn't figure out how to get off the base and get back home. I had no money, no passport, no nothing. So, yeah, they had me. But but. That's a common thing for people that have seen, for a lot of people who have seen UFOs. It's first I want to go home, and then it's like, okay, what does this mean to me? What, you know, 
and and mm-hmm. you know you treated it defensively, and it feels it feels to me as though you were fighting a change that went on inside of you, and you you chose a way where you could fight in reality. Yeah, pretty much. To yeah. sort of mirror mirror the fight that was going on inside of you. Yeah, the external versus internal struggle, but yeah, they kind of mirrored each other. Yeah. And no and it's it, it's it's um. I I think on top of everything else, you know, anybody who admits to having seen a UFO, and especially twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago, um, most people. I mean, I was in college, and and the 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 kind of um stuff I got was, well, how much did you have to drink the night that night? And, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, sure you did. And, and, you know, you, 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 you have an incident that it was so real in your life and nobody really believes you. Yeah. And, yep. and, and so there is that element of, of, you know, it's you against the world. Yeah, and, and there was also uh, there was also a lot of shame involved, believe it or not, because I just why? Um, well, I, I had uncles that were in World War II that landed on Normandy, and they were in Beston, and you know, uh, you know, highly decorated soldiers. My father got the Meritorious Service Award for being in uh, World War II in Vietnam and Korea and all that, and you know, and here I am, I can't even make a full year in the service. You know, <laughs> I felt pretty. Uh, <laughs> pretty bad about myself when I came back. So I, I jumped into drugs in a bottle for a good solid year when I got back, you know, like I said, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be as honest as I can. I mean, it's in the past, so it doesn't matter. It's 40 years ago, but I mean, uh-huh. you know, I can admit it, but, but when I went to write this book, like I said, I had to do a lot of soul searching and go, all right, I'm going to put it out there and the world's going to know exactly what you are. So, I mean, that, that took, that took a few weeks <laughs> to, to actually <laughs> sit out. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm not a big part. I'm not a big partier now, but I took a couple of weeks and I said, okay, on on this certain day, I'm going to start writing. And uh, it was three weeks from the day I had decided, okay, I'm going to you know start writing here. And I, I had three weeks of crawling in a bottle and smoking a lot of pot and trying to get my head wrapped around what I was going to do and if I really wanted to do it. And I don't even drink or do drugs anymore, but I did for three weeks just to kind of. I don't know, mellow my brain out because it was flying in a hundred different directions, you know? So, um, so well, it's, it's week, a hard, week, you know, uh, it's, it's I'm a hard sorry. thing to put yeah. that kind of information out there, not knowing what the reception is going to be. Yeah. I mean, that's a very yeah. brave thing that you did. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but it, it was mostly just, some of the stuff I did, I'm very not proud of, and I don't want to, you know, people go, oh, wow, you know, I've got some friends here, like, oh, wow, you were, you know, you were a mercenary, you are a professional soldier, oh, that's cool, and I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to promote that as being anything good, because it certainly wasn't, you know, I was out waging war on my fellow man, and, you know, besides that, I was working with a lot of drug dealers, and, you know, bodyguarding them, and moving lots of drugs, and I'm sure there's probably people in their grave, because of some of the stuff I've done, as far as with drug dealers, you know, I mean, besides war, war is one thing, you know, going out and shooting and getting shot at, you know, at least that's more even clear, uh-huh. I think. But, um, yeah, just, you know, destroying people's lives through drugs, you know, which just, I guess that all comes around because during this big uh, opioid 
epidemic, I lost a lot of friends. I mean, mm. <laughs> my the the iron working crew I worked on, we, I mean, just lost a bunch of those guys. And I was flipping houses up here. I lost two of my roofers. I lost my tile guy. I mean, I was going to funerals every couple months. It was getting pretty ridiculous, you know. So wow. I guess karma came back and kicked me in the ass there a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no. but I think the important thing is that you recognize it. You recognize the the stepping stones that you were on. You recognize the the um the journey that you've been on and it's not been an easy one, but you did at at some point you found God. At some point you be, became a husband and a father. I no. I mean I I think the important thing is that you won the battle took a heck of a long time, but you won the battle. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the um, the, the motivator for me to change was freedom. Um, I, I've always vowed that I will never go to jail. I, I just, you know, even, even uh, we got um, detained one time when we were in Honduras, and it looked like we were going to go do some jail time in some banana jail down there. And I was thinking, nope, ain't gonna, ain't gonna happen. I'd rather just run out and grab somebody. The people that were guarding us at the time was, I'm just gonna rush in and grab a gun and get shot. Forget it. I, ain't, <laughs> you know, I'll make a run for it. I'd rather die than go to jail and give up my freedom. I, I value my freedom uh-huh. completely. So, um, um, so I did some bad stuff. Let's put it that way. Got in trouble in uh-huh. Massachusetts and was on the run. And, you know, from I was hiding from both the FBI and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms at the time. And uh, I got on my motorcycle and drove west out to California. And for six days on my motorcycle, um, just decided, okay, I got to change. And at some point just started praying and just saying, hey, God, you know, I need the white picket fence and the family and enough of this. All right, I tried it. I'm done. I'm sorry I turned my back on you. And, you know, I was just, you know, it's not like I never... I guess I stopped believing in God, but it was more I turned my back on him, just said, you don't matter anymore because I don't even know if you're real type thing, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. my spirituality was nil. I didn't care about humanity or life or anything like that. That, that meant nothing to me. And uh, um, then I just finally decided, okay, uh, you know, I don't know. The light bulb went off in my head at some point. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that, that ride from... Uh, from Massachusetts to California is where I kind of figured I transformed back into the human race because when I was doing that kind of work, I never considered myself as being human at all with some of the stuff we were doing. And uh, that's one thing I I told a friend of mine going in the service. I said, man, when you get over there, I said, man, just go animal, go caveman, because that's the only way you're going to survive. You can't have any emotions or anything. You just got to put it up and just be as ruthless and caveman mentality as you can be, you know? So uh, when I was doing that type of stuff, that's exactly where my mind was at. I was just just not thinking emotionally conscious as far as uh, regret or anything like that. I don't know. I was just, a, I don't know. I don't know if you'd call it sociopathic in some manner, you know. I just just got rid of all that. I mean, it's the only way well, I, I can survive in that. At one point, at one point in the book, you, you spoke of seeing a woman on, on a shore, uh, on on a bluff, I think, and she was holding a dead baby, trying to nurse it, and you, you and she locked eyes, and it felt to me that that was really a turnaround point for you. 
Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I still had to finish that mission, which lasted for another three or four weeks, though, which was kind of rough. <laughs> but, yeah, after yeah. that, I, I – <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, do, I could expand on that a little if you'd like. Um, oh, you, sure. Yeah, um, I was tail gunner, so everybody had gone over this uh, bluff to get down into some dugout canoes that were down on the river. And uh, there was the uh, Cocoa River, which divided Honduras and Nicaragua over on the east coast, uh, on, the, on the Mosquito Coast. And um, um, so I was left up top to kind of keep an eye on things to make sure we were going to, you know, even even though we were on the Honduran side, the Nicaraguans would come over to our side, we'd go to their side. You know, this was a lot of border skirmishes. So, uh, so I was covering everybody's back. And then uh, I saw some movement to my left and I drew down on it. You know, I, I aimed at this movement and then realized, oh, it's a female. So I, you know, stopped aiming at her. And, uh, but then I saw her with her uh, baby in her arms. And I was like, oh, God, she's over there nursing her baby. Man, that's embarrassing. I didn't mean to do that, you know. And then we locked eyes. And then I, I, just before we locked eyes, I realized that the baby she was trying to suckle was gray. And the arms were just, like, flopping around and the legs. And, ugh, I can't get that image out of my head. <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. um, and then, yeah, we locked eyes. And, man, I've this girl's eyes reached down into my soul and just ripped a chunk out. <laughs> you know, she just, uh, she just blamed me because I was a soldier and her baby's dead because of me and everybody else that's involved in this horrible war from her perspective, you know, and we communicated without ever saying a word. And uh, finally I was just like, I, I think actually one of my commanders, you know, called my name and it was time for me to go. And that kind of like broke the stare, but uh, yeah, man, I, I finally made peace with that ghost. Boy, she really, uh, she really haunted me for a lot of years, you know. And, and oh, I, I can, and yeah, talk, I can imagine. Yeah, and in talking with my commander, he's like, "Man, don't let that tear you up, man." He goes, "These people want us here. We're, we're here helping them out. They're getting slaughtered. You know that, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know." He's just still, you know, <laughs> still hurt. <laughs> so sure, but, um, but you know, but we did do a lot of good down there, you know. I mean, eventually the uh, Nicaraguans get free elections and all that sort of stuff, and then the government stopped slaughtering them. So I guess that worked out okay. But, um, but that was just one, that was just one moment in five years of that sort of stuff. So, but I don't know, for some reason that one just really hurt. So. Well, and you know, I, I do think that, that from, from really that point on, you kept getting little hints, of, of a more spiritual life, of a more spiritual understanding uh, that that there was more out there, and that that you know you were you were basically coming out of a fog instead of going into one because um, it just it felt like that that was a time where your consciousness turned around, and you know everybody has that moment, you know, and, and it doesn't mean they put a white sheet on and go to the mountaintop and wait for the mothership. It means that suddenly, spiritually, there's a greater opening within them so that they, they are putting a greater sense of reason into what's going on, a greater sense of understanding. And, you know, I it, it felt to me as though that's, that's where it shifted for you and, you know, where where the whole incidents on the Air Force Base started this journey for you, this is the place where it seems to have turned around where, spiritually speaking, and again, it, you know, 
the shift in consciousness doesn't mean you suddenly are out there standing on a street corner and giving testimony. It means you're looking right. at your own life and you are trying to to shift it and make it more balanced and make it more holy and make it more um, adaptable to the kind of society that, that one would hope we will eventually ascend to. You know, where mm-hmm. where we are a where we are a family of man. And and everybody and, and that, that that isn't a kumbaya thing. It's a understanding that that you know we're all here for a purpose and it's a good purpose. And and it, it you know you you when you went to 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 China and and d- discovered you had an affinity for motorcycles and stuff. I mean, you you were really following more at that point where your spirit was taking you instead of trying to fight against you know, whatever was happening as far as your, your own, the evolution of your own lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, it's kind of weird. I've always struggled with a question, which was um, just before the, the incident we just talked about, um, we were in Nicaragua, and there was a certain point on that mission where I thought, okay, this is it, we're all going to die, because we were like caught out in the open type situation. I was just waiting to get mortared or something, you know? And uh, uh-huh. I it was probably the only time matter of fact i can tell you it was the only time i've ever prayed in combat <laughs> and <laughs> i i just remember i i didn't even know how to pray at that point and i just remember the uh um the movie bridge too far and robert redford was trying to get across that river going hail mary full of grace hail mary full of grace yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's what I just fell back on. I was just going through this open area going, man, if we can just make it to this cover, we'll be okay. And I just remember thinking in my head, Hail Mary, full of grace, Hail Mary, full of grace, get me out of this, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, but, uh, but while I was, while I was praying doing that and we were still pretty far away from being safe, um, I had this feeling of calm come over me all of a sudden. And it was like, I don't want to say a voice in my head, but I had this overwhelming feeling that, I want to say spoke to me, but it's not, it wasn't spoken. I don't know how else to describe it, but I had this feeling of calm come over me. And it was as if somebody was saying, don't worry, it's okay. You're supposed to be here. You'll make it through. You're here for a reason. Uh-huh. And I, and I never worried about dying after that at all on any mission ever. I, I even when I was racing, I, I never worried about crashing and dying. You know, I got hurt a lot crashing, but, uh-huh. but, uh, yeah, I'm not afraid of death or anything anymore. I mean, I've had a couple accidents where I, I really smashed myself pretty bad and thought I was going to die then, but I wasn't uh-huh. fearful. Of, I wasn't fearful of it at all. I, I mean, even right now, if if I knew I was dying, I'd probably be upset because I won't see my grandkids or anything because I don't have any yet. But um, it's not like, uh, <laughs> but it's not like I'd be afraid to die because I actually think that there's something on the other side. So, you know, hopefully I've. Uh, tip the scales from evil to good where you know so well it feels like you have a knowingness and, yeah i, and, I mean yeah. i was going to say i'm definitely more spiritually aware that's for sure yeah you know yeah yeah and and i think we all i think all of us who have been through this kind of a situation certainly i didn't go through anything like you've been through but you know there is that element of a struggle and of trying to find mm-hmm. a purpose and and trying to understand why you know why me why you yeah um yeah it, it's kind of like you know big world why 
what what made me different and it feels like and and I don't know what the answer is I'd love to know what the answer is but it's almost as though you were given a, a gift and you fought it for a while and then you surrendered to it and then your life started to change and it doesn't mean that you didn't still struggle because of course you do I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to overcome whatever is put in our way. But I think your story is so profound because you took it to such extremes and 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 you still came out to where you are now, which is such an, which you is, know, an amazing story. Yeah, you know, I look back at that and just wonder why I'm still here because there's a lot of times I really don't think I should have been, you know, um, I mean, I've been shot and stabbed and, yeah, I don't know. And they've all been not very critical wounds where, I don't know, I guess you just call that luck. I don't know how you how well you'd reason it. I don't know. When you get, when you get in a firefight and stuff, bullets are flying. It, it, an inch to the right or the left could kill you or save your life. I mean, it's just all so random, you know? So. I don't know. I think seeing seeing something like you saw that shook you to the, your very core opened you up to the potential of something even more. And, yeah. And, and did you have to struggle through really tough times and, and really be confronted and, with yourself? You may have been fighting with yourself internally. I don't think you, I mean, a lot of the stuff you did was, you know, oh, come on, it, it was tough stuff. But yeah. but you were also fighting your, with yourself internally about what direction are you going to go, and ultimately you went in a spiritual direction. And, and I truly believe that's what happens to anybody that goes through this kind of experience, that, that while there's a doubting and while there's a, an anger, you know, why me? Mm-hmm. Why won't people listen to me? Why won't people believe me? You know, yeah. oh my God! You know, you know, I and and some of the I'm not worthiness too, but but you know those are all big battles because they're not ex- external with bullets; they're internal with with fear and doubt and all sorts of stuff. So those are harder battles for sure. Yeah, and and, and, and you're right. And, I can take it to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, your, go ahead. No, it's your. I was going to say. I didn't want to break your train of thought there. Um, well, no, what That's I was going to okay. say is, um, um, yeah, you know, my, my struggle took me down a certain path, and I obviously I, I took it to an extreme, but that was my own decision. You know, I, I, everything I did was my own doing. You know, I can't blame anybody uh-huh. for anything that happened because it was my own decisions. You know, I'm a grown man here, and I, I made decisions, right or wrong, good or bad, I, I made them. So I got to live with that. But um, But I think some people, you know, some people may crawl into a bottle or do drugs or – um, fall into depression maybe or this and that, but it, it's, I think that's like the initial shock of it. And then you, it's what you do with that. You know, do you pull yourself out? Do you keep going further down that rabbit hole into depression or whatever state, state of mind you're in or, but it, it definitely changes you. I, I mean, I, I can't see, I, I, everybody I know that was involved with that incident, it changed their life profoundly in one way or another, whether good, bad or indifferent. I, I don't know anybody that came out of that, the same way they went into it, you know? So, I mean, if you look at Larry Warren, look at Jim Penniston and, and all these guys, I mean, they've, they've all had some serious struggles in their life, you know? 
Absolutely. So, you know, but that's so. the thing. That's 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 what makes you so unique. And and anybody who has this kind of experience, almost everyone goes through this kind of a a challenge and a battle and a wrestling because all of a sudden everything that you believed in everything that you thought was carved in stone turns to dust and you are you are forced to look for something else inside of you to build your life back up on Mm -hmm. and 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 everyone you know we're all different so we all do it you know in different ways and Mm -hmm. and at this point of time in my life, mine was like 55 years ago. Yours was only 40 years ago. Um, you know, it you get you do get to a point where there is a sense of unbelievable knowingness and peace. And does that mean you're not struggling still? Hell no. But but it means that you have a different foundation that you're working from. So in a way, as painful as it was, and as long as it took you, it was a gift. Yeah, um, I talked um, with um, Paula Harris, the one that did my forward, and we had talked about that of, hey, you know, you, you can look at it. You know, I, I've always been a big proponent of life as a matter of perspective and how you look at things, you know, through, through, my, 40 years, through my 40 years of growth since then, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I look at it. I mean, do you, do you look at it in a negative way, a positive way? And, and you know, i got to thank Paula for that because she's like, hey, Steve, you know, this – this might have been a big negative at the time, but look where you're at and how it changed you. And did it change you into a better person, a worse person? What kind of person would you have been if you didn't see it versus mm-hmm. what you are? Now? And I'm real happy with where I am right now. You know, I'm, I got two great kids. And um, as far as uh, my spiritual consciousness and stuff like that, I mean, I, my, my mom says I'm, uh, I'm helpful to a point, <laughs> to, a, to, a, to a fault. <laughs> To a fault, I'm sorry. She says I'm help, helpful to a fault because uh, I'll give somebody the shirt off my back if they're cold, you know, and not even think twice about it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I told my mom, I hope, I hope when I die I'm, I'm penniless and I hope I've given all my money away and helped people because I uh, can't take away there. What good is it, you know? Um, I actually, you know, from, from going to a person whose God was uh, dead presidents and green paper, um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that used to be my life. That's all I wanted was money, money, money. I mean, it's very mercenary mentality to, I can't stand money right at this point in my life. I, you know, I'm, you know, you get up money to live and all, but that's all I care about is pay the bills and that's it. I mean, I don't care about ever getting rich or that. I, I'm just so opposite of that at this point, you know? And, uh, and I just generally, you know, try to help people out and be a good person and, you know, try to keep, try to keep my, uh, my spirit on a on a good scale, you know. Well, considering where you came from, I mean, you know, your childhood and and all of that. Um, if it hadn't been for this incident, heaven knows where you might have ended up. But I yeah. but I would bet I would bet money you would not be the person you are today. Oh no! Because no, I know it. Because it wouldn't have been. You know. Seeing seeing something that shatters your belief system is is a very profound thing, and and I I found that people who were standing next to me either 
didn't see the same thing I did or were terrified. And, and you know, I, I wish that there could have been follow-up on all of them as well as me because for me, it, it sent me into the spiritual stuff totally, absolutely. It was like, okay, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something beyond all this if what I have now believed into this point um, <clears throat> isn't, isn't the end all. What what more is there? And let me find out about it, and let me go into it. And and you know you are you are such a great example of how terrifying it can be, and how brave you were to have fought your way through it, both physically and emotionally, and come out to where you are today. That's an amazing journey. Well, I'll tell you the the hardest part of that journey is the loneliness of it all, because. Yeah. I don't know how anybody else felt, but I know I felt like, even though there were other people that were involved in stuff, I felt like I was on my own path, and um, I don't know. It was just like so lonely. It was like, does everybody else feel the same way I do? Are they still? Are they going through this? I mean, is everybody else confused? I mean, it was kind of like uh, I see everybody else that was involved with this, and they seem like they're carrying on okay. They, I know now that they weren't, but at the time, you know, everybody's got their there are two sides, you know, the side they show in public and then their internal side, you know. And uh, I was looking at everybody else going, oh, everybody else seems like they're doing okay. How come I'm having so much trouble with this? You know, starting to question my own sanity at some point there, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. and then, again, you know, your own family members, you know, I talked to my uh, mom and dad about it briefly, but I never really explained it to them and they didn't understand and, they didn't really want to know. They just know, okay, you got booted out of the service. Uh, you did something stupid, so let's just move forward from here. But it's like, okay, I can't really sit down and talk to you about this. You wouldn't even understand, you know, which I guess, yeah, could, honestly, it's, it's kind of like somebody but, coming out of combat and coming back home, like a Vietnam veteran, for instance. I know a lot of Vietnam veterans, and they're same thing. They'd come back, and how do you explain what you just went through? Nobody would understand that, you know, so... But could you could a, you have articulated it though? I don't think at the time, no, because I, I just rejected it so much and didn't want anything to do with it that I, I didn't even want to articulate it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, and you know, as you went through life, though, as as I said before, you know, you your external and internal battles were the same, and yeah, I you know you fought amazingly well through the whole thing and, and to come to a realization that there was something more and, and uh, you you struggled so it's and you're so articulate in the book, you know, explaining, you know, you're very honest, you're you're frighteningly <laughs> honest on, on how you felt and what you did and and uh, yeah, I, I just think that the it triggered you into an epiphany of um understanding of a greater spiritual awareness or oneness or whatever that's out there. Um, and, and it made you such a better person. It's, it's in many ways, though it took longer, this is what happens with people who have near-death experiences, and you certainly have had a number of those. Um, you know, it, it's, you come face-to-face with the other side. And, and, you know, I'm not saying what you saw had a religious connotation at all, because it didn't. But mm-hmm. it had an awareness 
connotation to it that stretched you into places that you didn't even know existed, and, and, and therefore you, you fought the realization of where you were going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, it, it, it changed my whole perspective on life, the world, everything, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't even know yeah, what else absolutely. to say about that. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, so, so out of curiosity now, okay, you've written the book and the book is going to be out there. How does this change you as far as how you approach life? The, how, how does it change you as, as far as how you work with your children? How does, how does it really, at this point in time, how does it make your life richer and better? Um, I think just the fact that I got it out of my consciousness and put it out there and uh-huh. it's just kind of, cleans- kind of a cleansing thing, you know, and Absolutely. I've just had it so bottled up inside me for 40 years, you know, that, and, you know, I've watched everybody else do the whole dog and pony show with UFO conferences and this and that, and writing books and going from one UFO researcher to another and all this sort of stuff. And I, I wanted nothing to do with any of that. And so I never uh-huh. really wanted to write book or be in the public eye and you know some of the stuff I was involved with I certainly didn't want to be in the public eye so um so I just kind of rejected it all but I finally came to terms with okay well and and honestly some of the things that were being said about my fellow airmen at the time I was like all right I I just I need to write a book and set the record straight on a couple things here um Uh just people doubting whether people were even on base or on that particular night if they were on duty or, you know, stuff like that. And uh, I, I just felt compelled to set the story straight from my perspective and let the chips fall where they may, because I'm not going to go do any conferences or anything like that. I'm not going to go do that whole tour, you know. <laughs> it's just not no, me. No, I, um, I've, I, I've done I, some I radio interviews. <laughs> and I think your message is far more spiritual. Um and I've spoken to um, two or three people that were present at that time, and there is a mm-hmm. wonderful innocence to what they saw and what they felt, and that, and it's kind of like, and and what do I do with it now? Yeah. And it it it, it it's a big question, but but it it feels like you at least. I think that you have a good feeling as to how it impacts your life as you go forward and how you how you are a family member and, and a member of a community and everything else. And I think it's it's important that people understand that that seeing a UFO for real up close and, and, and you'll know if you've actually seen a real one because you will have these questions. You know, if you yeah. just saw something zap across the sky, I mean, there are, I mean, let's face it, an unidentified flying object, they're all over the place. But something mm-hmm. that has a uniqueness to it that is even greater than that, you know, whether it's a flying saucer or whether it, whatever it is, um, if you come up that close to it, if you are stretching your neck and looking up, then, then you're really seeing something that is not of this world. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it was just something a... that. Yeah. I mean, if, if you've seen something that is not of this world, then then everything comes crashing down. And, and actually, I think every 
anybody that writes a book that actually witnessed a UFO, they would probably mm-hmm. want to title. They would probably want to title it "Now What." I think that's just the feeling you have is, okay, now what do I do with this? You know, what just happened here and what do I do now? I mean, it's it's like the first thing in your head, you know, (laughs) what just happened here? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. we can joke about it now, but at the time you can't, you know. Oh, my goodness. And and I think it's, it's funny because a lot of people who have had that kind of experience want to talk about it. Because if you can talk it out, you can maybe deal with it a little better. And yet well, well, the reception you get when you talk is not what you'd like. Oh, yeah. The tinfoil hat. Yeah. Here's your tinfoil hat, Steve. Yeah, UFOs, okay, whatever. That's why I just shut up about it, you know. The first time I tried talking to somebody, I, I was just like, okay, whatever, never mind. <laughs> you know, because yeah. people looking at you like, Okay, whatever. Yeah, you got out on what kind of charge there? A little kooky charge, or <laughs> you know, people start <laughs> doubting your sanity and stuff. So I mean, you know, because you shut down. But you know, I, I wish there was actually a, an organization, or you know, like nationwide or even worldwide, where um, like maybe MUFON could have a sub chapter of, uh, hey, if you saw a UFO, call in, and we got counselors that can talk to you or something about it. Because there's no place for anybody to go. Where do you go and say, hey, I saw a UFO. What do I do about it? People just again look at you like you're a nut. So, you know, it'd be nice if there was some sort of organization or some vehicle where people could say, hey, I just saw this. I'm really struggling with, you know, what do I do now, you know? You know, Gosh, maybe call it the now, yeah. call it the now what society, <laughs> you know? But, well, you know, you're still <clears throat> old enough that you could form something like that. Yeah, I probably could, except I got a little different path going on in my life here. I'm I'm kind of going off grid here in a in a little bit and okay. uh, like getting off the internet i mean i've got like solar panels and stuff and i'm literally getting off the grid <laughs> i don't even know well, i, I haven't even owned a tv in five years i mean i just yeah it's, what you suggested is a great question and i hope somebody picks up on it because um it it it, it is an area where there is there is such inner conflict that goes on inside of one when when you've had this kind of experience. Um, a lot of people do different things with it. Lynn Katai has done an amazing thing with her Phoenix Lights um, material and and her um, her experiences, and it changed her life amazingly. And mm-hmm. you know, you, you more and more and more, you're seeing people that have had this experience and, and have gone to okay, and they don't call it spiritual or religious, but they they get out there with the material in a way that people can can say, wow, and where did it take you? And I like where you are now. How do I get there? If I you know don't happen to see a UFO, how can I get to where you are? And and again, the, the, it's a dialogue that's important that it take place. And I, you know, you, you you might be, you know, some sort of support system someplace. But I do believe that you will find that people are are looking for exactly what you just talked about. And it sounds like it's a it's a phenomenal thing to start. And it all, it has to be organized by people that have gone through an experience like you have. In mm-hmm. order to have great, the greatest validity, because otherwise you'll get a whole bunch of people that saw something streak across the sky, and it could have been a weather balloon, it could have been um, any number of things. I mean, people that that in '47 saw, um, 
you know, the 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 crash um, that took place out in New Mexico. I mean, mm-hmm. what happened to them? And and if you yeah. talk to any of them, you'll find that they went through the same sort of experience. This is and, something and you know very what? real. And that's the part that I think people need to understand is, hey, the other people went through this and they're struggling the same way you are, you know? So Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, your way it. of finding wholeness and, and everything is very different than mine was or than anybody else's so that the journey is individual, but being supported in your journey, what, wherever it takes you, is important and and for people to not ridicule and not tease um it 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 makes it all the harder and you're right there is a loneliness that is involved here that is profound it echoes yeah um, i was going to say that's why um i had so much respect for uh, bud hopkins because he was at least talking to people and about their experiences, you know, he, he dealt with more like, like abductees, but, uh, mm-hmm. but at least he was out there talking to him and trying to help him out and, you know, move in that direction at least, you know, I think he helped a lot of people out, honestly, you know? Oh yeah. So, well, we, we are, yeah, no, it's, what what you've put out there is a wonderful story and people should pay attention to it and understand that your battles were internal and external, that you did find a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and that you're allowing, that you're following, continuing to follow it, you know, wherever it mm-hmm. takes you. But your perspective is different and you're a different person and probably a much better person than you would have been had you not seen it. Yeah, I guess in the long run, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But I think mostly, I don't know, I guess I guess if I had to say anything, I kind of wrapped it up in my book that way too, is just, you know, trying to be inspirational towards people. Hey, you know, this happened, but it doesn't have to ruin you, and you can use it as a vehicle, again, perspective, use it as a vehicle to open up your consciousness a little bit and explore a little more what's going on out there in the world, you know? And uh, I don't know, start your journey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, our, our time is up, but I, I, I would okay. like very much if, you know, down the line, a year, two, three, whatever, I would love to get you back on and, and just see where you are and, and what's going on in your life, if that's okay with you. Sure. It might be a little hard to, to contact, but... <laughs> oh, I'll, you'd be surprised. I'll, I'll always have an email address, and you have that, so you can always get in touch with with me there. I will. So. I, will. I, I want to thank you so much. I know this is material that's tough to share, and 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 you've done it beautifully in your book. And and I thank you so much for coming on Nightlight and talking to me about everything. So I appreciate very much your taking your time to share with us. Well, you're very welcome. I, again, I appreciate the invite. Okay, thanks a lot. And everybody, um, this will be up on YouTube and on Rumble by tomorrow. And uh, if you if you enjoyed it, please, please share, subscribe, let us know you were listening. Good night, everybody.